0: Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales.
1: Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show. We've got a great guest for you this week. We're going to be talking to Mike Vini, who is going to help us transform stigma into strength. Van, I'm going to throw out the first question to you real quick, because for people that haven't spent a lot of time in the mental health world, they might not know what stigma is. So before we ask Mike to define stigma, define it.
2: Generally speaking, I think you can, you can summarize stigma as being a combination of different things. Shame, and I mean that in both senses, a sense of feeling shame and shaming others for whatever it happens to be, I mean, in, in this case, mental illness. Also it 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 it's a it's about not being open again because of the shame but it's it's about having to be in the closet so to speak.
1: I'm fond of saying that stigma is just a fancy word for discrimination but then I met Mike and and he well Mike what's your definition of stigma?
3: Well, the both of you are actually right in my opinion. There's no one way of describing it. According to Webster's dictionary, It's a mark of shame, but I actually think it has three components that are thoughts, feelings, and behavior. Thoughts are stereotypes that we have about people who might be living with mental illness. Feelings are prejudice. Maybe you learn that I am living with a mental illness and you feel uncomfortable when I walk in the room, and behavior is discrimination, and it can be something that's really subtle or something that's very overt, depending on the situation, and like Ben said, it can be towards yourself or towards others.
1: In the mental health community, we spend an awful lot of time fighting stigma, stomping out stigma it It really has become a buzzword, which, in, in some cases, because it's talked about so much, has become watered down. But stigma is something that's very serious and and you're an expert on this subject. so give us a, a little class real quick on on just all of it. I mean, just just do your thing, Mike.
3: Do my thing oh my um it's something that i'm still exploring and i think it's something that we're going to continue to explore and truth be told once we figure out how to really transform this in society there's going to be stigma towards something else that's not mental health related so i think it's something about the human condition i always say uh, to people to look at kindergartners when kindergartners learn to socialize you can learn so much about stigma watching kindergartners socialize so let's just say Vince and I are in kindergarten, and we both have Nike speakers on, and Gabe, you join our little group on the playground, and you have Reeboks, the way kindergartners socialize. Yes, Reeboks. Um, (laughs) The way kindergartners socialize is they figure out who the weird one is. This is how they learn to feel part of the group, who is the weird one, and you hear kids saying it all the time, you're weird, you're weird, and we bring that with us. Through young adulthood into adulthood. And as adults, nobody wants to be the weird one. So that's one way of looking at stigma. The other way of looking at it is mental health issues are confusing. You know, I was in the gym and I hurt myself and hurt my wrist doing some kind of a cool push up routine, trying to impress somebody. And I knew that it was a sprain, a strain, or a broken wrist. I had to give it a few days, have to ice it, see what happens, call a doctor. Mental health issues, on the other hand, are confusing. You don't usually wake up right away and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm depressed, I need to call a doctor. Some people do, but most people don't. And for people who love someone with a mental health issue, mental health issues are confusing. So it goes both ways. This all leads to the stigma surrounding mental health.
1: So you think that in many ways, stigma is really just confusion, we're stigmatizing people because of our own fear or confusion or lack of understanding of their situation.
3: Absolutely, I mean, I uh, speak at a lot of mental health events around the country and I can hear it in how people discuss issues. For example, people talk about their allergies all the time with a loud voice, but when you hear people start to talk about their mental health issues, their voice gets much lower, that's stigma right there. We feel uncomfortable with that conversation. And I'm a big believer in that we are actually the problem, all of us. It's not something that's out there. It's just something in how we all see ourselves. And if we make it a normal conversation, let's just say we were having this conversation nice and loud at Starbucks, which I know the three of us totally would have this conversation nice and loud at Starbucks. Um, that's, that's where you start to transform stigma because you're making it normal.
2: I think another factor too, and, and maybe you'll agree with this, is that in our society, we have this tendency to emphasize differences rather than similarities between people
3: well well let me, let me say something to that you're absolutely right that's and, and one of the things that's important to remember though, is we need to have bias in our decision making or we don't know when to make a right or left turn in the car, so we need that in our brains to be able to categorize things to show up at appointments on time and things like that. So we need Mm -hmm. to be able to have some bias, but it's when the bias starts to create problems in the case of racism, discrimination, things like that, where we need to, I'm just gonna say examine it further.
2: That makes sense. We don't do enough of that, that's for sure. No, we don't.
1: So what's the solution? I I mean, we'll just just throw (laughs) it right out there. Like go ahead and solve this problem for us, Mike, just real quick.
3: Well, I believe stigma ultimately is a cycle. And it's a cycle that starts with shame. Shame leads to silence. And the silence leads to sabotage, self-destructive behavior, social injustice, and suicide. And the key to transforming it is really simple. Number one, self-care. I wrote an article on self-care. And I actually learned, because when you write an article, you both know this, you have to like quote some kind of study to sound smart. So I found a study on self-care that said, of people with chronic health conditions, only 5% practice self-care, which is statistically zero. Most people don't practice self-care. So when you start to practice self-care, you start to feel better about yourself, which reduces shame. That's number one. The key to transforming the silence is to make it a part of everyday conversation, meaning don't just talk about it when you're asked. Talk about it when you talk about sports. Talk about it when you're at the bar with your friends. Make it a normal conversation. If you make it a normal conversation, you'll eventually get legislation. Classic example of that that I bring up to audiences is same-sex marriage. Whether you agree with it or not doesn't matter. But the fact is, the LGBTQ community did the best job in history of forcing the subject into everyday conversation, and they got some of the best legislation in history because of that. Make it a normal part of the conversation. And the way to transform self-destructive behavior is to look for teachable moments to help others because it gets you outside of yourself. And for all of us who struggle when we have opportunities to advocate, help someone else, it forces us to look at our own issues differently, even just for a moment. So that's the key to transforming stigma. You make it sound so
1: easy. Yeah. Right now. Let me, let me play. I want to play devil's advocate for just a moment. One of the things that you said in there is that we need to be, you know, open and volunteer information out in public so that we can keep the conversation going. But of course we started this conversation because people who live with mental health issues, mental illness, you know, and, and addiction, et cetera, are often stigmatized or discriminated against for having it. So doesn't that sort of put you in harm's way?
3: You know, I could also argue that I'm African-American and me just showing up for a job and being African-American can put me in harm's way. I think it doesn't matter. One of the things that I've told people is that you have to be you and you cannot judge what other people think. You cannot do that. African-Americans can't do it. People with mental health challenges can't do it. It's on us to make it a normal part of the conversation, not everyone else. We make it normal to us and we make it okay with us the rest of the world will follow what it starts with us.
1: I like it. We're going to step away for a moment. When we get back, we're going to find out exactly who this Mike Vini
0: guy really is. We'll see you soon. This episode is sponsored by betterhelp.com.
2: And we're back with Mike Vini. Mike, I want to know more about you. Um, I've looked over your website and I've been enjoying talking to you for the past 10 minutes, but there's so much more I don't know. Can you bring me up to speed a little bit?
3: Sure. Um, I consider myself more than anything a thought leader around this subject. And the reason that it became fascinating to me was because throughout my entire life, I have been struggling with mental health issues. And this has led to me as a, as a youth, getting hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital three times, expelled from three schools. Um, sadly, I attempted to take my own life at age ten. Fortunately, was not successful. And so, you know, throughout my youth, throughout my young adulthood and adulthood, I struggle basically every day with depression, anxiety, and obsessive compulsive disorder. And what I have learned is that forget those issues right there. Cause those issues, I mean, we can have. <laughs> hours and hours of conversation about. But there was this backpack that I was wearing, this social backpack that if you found out about my issues and we became friends, you might not want to be my friend anymore. Or I was interested in a woman and she found out about my history. It was going to be a problem. And my parents always said, you cannot let anyone know about this if you want to get a job at some point. So that was how stigma was affecting me. And I realized that and around 2011, when I had a breakdown and committed to figuring out a way to remove stigma from my life.
2: I have to ask, you know, I know a lot of people, when they hear about very young individuals who take their own lives, it is such a profound shock. And, and you say that you made the attempt when you were 10 years old. A lot of people yeah. would say, how, how on earth could, could a child that young even think about doing such a thing?
3: Well, if you go back to something I said before, mental health issues are confusing. They're confusing whether you're 10 years old or 100. And at 10 years old, I had started puberty um, faster than many of the girls. And my emotions, with puberty comes emotional issues all over the place, plus my own depression. And I didn't know what to do with that. And one of the things that I have learned about suicide from my perspective and self-harm is that it's simply a solution. We're, we are a solution-oriented society. That's why we bias and put people into groups. We like solutions. And I just wanted a solution to end the pain. It was so overwhelming. And so for a lot of people who are struggling, I believe that when they might attempt suicide, they are simply looking for a solution.
1: Mike, to pull this back on to, to stigma for a moment, how much stigma do you think that you faced being 10 years old, how much stigma did you face in your own family? Um, I mean, there, there's, you know, Vin's right, that that's that's awfully young. How do you think that, um, that brought you to this place now?
3: Well, n- number one, I faced it in my family, truth be told, to be very transparent, I still face it now in my family. Believe it or not, some of the toughest stigma I have to deal with in this world is within my family. And I also feel that You know, I'm African-American. It's a big issue in the African-American community because it's just not talked about at all. It's like a no-no. And so I really faced a lot of it growing up, you know, and I came from a family that was very successful. Everyone was, was doing well in their careers and stuff. So, yeah, I faced a lot of it. In certain ways, I still do, but what I've tried to do is not treat it as something that I'm a victim of, but tackle it head on. When I see it, I talk about it. I'm open about it. I'm loud about it. Even if it makes someone uncomfortable because I realized that over time, you know, at one point segregation was happening in this country and mixing the races together. was an uncomfortable conversation, but now it's become normal. It's a part of our country, but it took having uncomfortable conversation consistently to get to that place.
2: That's very true. Now I want to talk about your recovery as specifically, one of the things that was your path to recovery, which I understand is that you were a drum circle facilitator. That sounds awesome. Yeah,
3: it is, because when people ask me what I do for a living, I get to say one of two things. Either I'm talking about my issues or I'm allowing people to hit stuff in a room. and get paid for it, <laughs> that, that's my book. I love it. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and it's like, you know, once that's when I do the drum circle, it's, it's like I get a giant toy box that I bring to events. And, People play with me, and, and they pay me money. One of the things that happened with me when I was a kid, actually starting at age 10, I actually started learning the drums. And the drums are the only thing that calmed me down, more than all the medications that they were putting me on. And so I decided to become a professional drummer, spent many years just focusing on that before getting into mental health. And when I got into focusing on mental health and speaking, the drumming kind of came with me because people were asking for it. And I realized that mental health issues and people issues go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And the drum circles allow for this environment for me to teach people a healthy way to bond with each other, which is something that's rare in the society, whether you have mental health issues or not, getting on the same page as people. So it's really nice to see adults come together, smiling, being on the same page and playing the beat together. And I absolutely love doing it.
1: When I did research on you for this show, I, I, of course, Googled. Mike Vini, and lots of stuff came up, lots of great stuff, but YouTube videos of you playing the drums came up, and I have to say, it was, I know this is not related to mental health at all, but I was watching you do it, and I was like, that looks like a happy guy. (laughs) Yeah,
3: and and, you know, I can actually say this on, on your show, one of the things in my life that I'm transitioning to. I mean, I do so much speaking and I love doing it and I love facilitating drum circles, but I'm actually going to be focusing in the next few years on just going back to being a drummer uh, pretty much as the majority of my career because that brings me the most happiness. It's going to bring me the least amount of money, but it's going to bring me the most happiness and that's what I want to focus on.
2: Excellent.
1: That is very, very cool. Now, so you feel that that the things that you faced as a child, the, the, the stigma that you faced as a child led to your career later in life because as, as you put it very succinctly, we must have uncomfortable conversations. It, it's by conversing about it that brings it out into the open. Bringing it out into the open allows people to explore it. Exploring it allows people to, I mean, you, you said it significantly better than I'm doing now, but your whole point is, is that without conversing about it, we're never going to reach understanding. And without understanding, we're not going to be able to break down the barriers that we're using to separate ourselves. Correct. Yes.
3: Anyone listening is uh, thinking like one of the common questions that I get is, well, what if someone reacts in a negative way? Be that a family member, friend, or someone on the job, guess what? It doesn't matter because that's the exact same thing that happened with the LGBTQ community when they were talking about same sex marriage. They threw it in everyone's face. They didn't care about anyone's reaction and look at where they got things. And I've even found that in churches in the South, they are more open to talking about including the LGBTQ community than they are talking about depression. And I think that's horrendous. And the reason for that is we are not making it a normal conversation and doing it unapologetically. That's the important thing, to do it unapologetically.
1: It's really easy to say, of course, you know, just just do it. Who cares what people think? And in, in fairness, we shouldn't care what people think, but unfortunately, our, our country has a, a fairly violent history of uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know a, attacking people that look different, sound different, talk different, act different, or have different issues. So I do want to give just a, a slight nod to the idea that you know those who came before us, you know, some of those unfortunately were were dealt with pretty violently. What I truly want to say is, you know, it's really easy. But for example, one of my idols, uh, historical idols, people that I, of course, never met was uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Fantastic man. I know we all know who he is. And obviously he was willing to die for his beliefs. But I do think that we need to acknowledge that by speaking out and for all the change that he did, he he did, you know, unfortunately meet an untimely end. I realize that I don't think the stakes are that high in, in our community, but I do want to acknowledge it for the other communities because I, you know, unfortunately America has a, an abysmal history in the way that we have dealt with people that are outspoken about things that are different. And I think that helps to silence people now in the present because of. Absolutely.
3: Uh, absolutely. But you know, one, one of the things that I was looking at recently about trends in terms of topics, This subject of mental health is becoming increasingly popular in our society. That means people want to know about it, and it's still taboo. So we're not at a point like we were years and years ago where no one was talking about it at all. We're at a point where people are starting to talk about it. They're still figuring out how to do that. And that's why I think it's a really opportune time for those of us that are advocates and people who want to move the conversation forward and see it become normal to do it unapologetically because of where we are at the time. And I totally agree with you, Gabe, that you know the people who came before us, many of them did these exact things and did not um, have, have a good response, but ultimately it led us to where we are today.
1: And, and and we're we're happy for them because you know we we are what what's the phrase? We're standing on the shoulders of giants. hmm I love that one. Right. Right. We do
2: have more than, more than one society to deal with. As, as you alluded to earlier, different communities speak very differently about mental health and mental illness within themselves. It's, it's one thing in the African American community. It's another one in the Latino community. They all treat it a little bit differently, and some of them much more stigma than others.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. One thing I I, I say to that, it's really important to start with speaking to people in their language. So, for instance, churches. One of the things that I've uh, been consulted about is pastors. They ask me, well, how can we apply these principles to our church? And one thing that I suggest to churches is to take the principles and include it in their teachings from the Bible so it's relatable to what they are already doing, and it flows right in. and doesn't seem like this extra side thing they have to talk about. So I think it's important to meet people where they're at and start there. Um, and that's why I'm a big believer in the uncomfortable conversation too, because you have to meet people where they're at and go from there. They're not gonna change overnight. We're, we're, we, we all don't change overnight, I know I don't. So I think that's important to do that in the process.
1: The final thing that I wanna ask you, Mike, just to tie this all up with Lou ends, is there's, there's obviously multiple ways to have conversations. You know, any conversation can be had multiple ways. I can scream it at you, I can yell it at you, I can I can sit down and, and respectfully tell it to you. Having the uncomfortable conversation is one thing, but, but how? How should we behave when we're having these conversations?
3: The thing we should keep in mind is to come from the heart. A lot of times if you're an advocate, we actually come from a place of anger and frustration because we want to change things. And that turns people off all the time. But it's important to come from a place of love. For example, I have a friend that used a term that you probably shouldn't use to describe people with mental health issues. And I love this friend dearly. I know that she didn't mean it purposefully. So I use that as a teachable moment for myself to come from the heart and have an open, relaxed conversation about it. And she has actually gotten so much better and, and learned so much more about mental health since and talks to me about it all the time. And that's why I think it's important to just come from the heart. That's the important thing.
1: Wonderful. I'm very fond of saying that disagreement does not equal disrespect. And I I think that that applies to pretty much every area of our society.
3: Absolutely.
1: Mike, I can't believe that the time has gone so fast. You have been an incredible guest. You're probably one of my favorite people out there uh, on the mental health speakers trail. So so thank you for taking a few moments to be with us. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on the show. It was our pleasure. Definitely. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And remember, you can get one week of convenient, affordable, private, online counseling anytime, anywhere. Just visit our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash We will see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the psych central show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com show. Psychcentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker